Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's worship.
Thanksgiving, a wonderful weekend, and maybe was able to take some time 
just to give thanks to the Lord for his blessings, his provisions, and the way he has sustained us this last year. I realize that for many of us, Thanksgiving may not have looked like we might have expected or even wanted it to. I found it's kind of hard to actually eat turkey via a Zoom call. But, uh, you know, we were able to connect together in various ways. And uh, I want to encourage you today after maybe if you're watching this and, and you're with other people to take some time to reflect on the things that God has done in your life this last year and ways maybe you've grown in the Lord and just take a few minutes to share that with each other. I think that'd be really encouraging in light of the fact this has been a really tough year for everybody, but we have so much to be grateful for. Now, our church has been in a study of First Peter for several weeks. This has been a study that we've called Faith Under Fire because the time of Peter's writing was when the church was being had been dispersed because of persecution. And Peter, as a pastor and an elder, is wanting to encourage the saints to be faithful no matter what. And so he writes a letter that was distributed to multiple churches in the region. These letters would be read out loud to the churches when they received them, so they would be a great word of encouragement. And of course, this is the word of God coming to these people. And so that someone would stand up, an elder would stand up and read these letters as they received them from someone like Peter. But what's interesting about this is Peter's also going to write uh, to the elders in this particular letter as well. And so it puts the elders on accountability um, with the rest of the congregation as this is being heard. And so that's the part we've come to now in 1 Peter today, chapter 5. So I invite you to open your Bibles to that 1 Peter chapter 5, and I want you to begin reading with me in verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter is, the Peter the proud that we might have known in the Gospels is Peter the humble that you see here. Of course, Peter being one of the twelve, and everyone would have known that, he has apostolic authority because he was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ and the life of Christ. And so uh, people would have known that about him, but also he was a very powerful preacher and had much authority in Christianity. However, as he now writes this letter to other churches, he being an elder himself, does not esteem his role or his position any higher than any other elder of any other church or any other pastor, we might say. And so there's a lesson just even in the first few words of this text that we can take away from. And here's the lesson that, you know, shepherd hearted people, they're not concerned about titles and they're certainly not concerned about pecking order. Instead, what Peter's consumed with is the heart of the shepherd and the way that the shepherd ministers to, to the people. Now, I realize men, most people that are probably going to uh, listen to this message today are not pastors in a vocational sense like I am. Uh, I've been in the ministry. This is our, my 20th year. In fact, I'm celebrating 20 years of vocational ministry. And I remember distinctly when the Lord called me out of vocational or secular vocational work into the vocational ministry. And I I remember coming to that spot where I, I just love the, to the word of God. I love to teach the word of God. I love the aspect of shepherding. And it became very evident in my life that nothing else was going to satisfy my heart and my life like what being in the ministry has been for me. And so today I also want to thank you. If you if you call me your pastor, I want you to know that I am very honored and privileged and so grateful to have that role in your life. So I realize though that most of us probably listening today are not pastors in a vocational sense, but you are a shepherd 
um, of people, especially if you have children or grandchildren, if you oversee any kind of ministry, you're a group leader, um, there's a various number of ways, an organizational leader where there's people that are that you are shepherding, you've been entrusted with, you're in management of a particular role with people. I think if you'll listen careful, there's things that we can all derive from this as things to learn in terms of our motivation and our attitude and our behavior as when it comes to being a good shepherd. Now he's writing here, the elders who are among you, I exhort. So he's going to give an exhortation of how to shepherd appropriately, but also with warning. But he's speaking here to the elders, plural, different pastors of these different churches. There's also a plurality of leadership that you see in the churches throughout the New Testament in this term elders. Now, I realize this term gets a little confused. And I'm not here today to speak about elder specific, but we hear today about, well, elder-led churches or pastor-led churches or whatever that means. Well, when we watch the Bible, and we're going to see this even in this text today, the word elder, pastor, or shepherd, and then bishop or overseer is all the same person with different roles, different functions of the same person. Now, there may be multiple people in a, any particular ministry that carry that role, but it's the same person with different functions. And so he's writing here to the elders, who is a, also an elder, and as he describes, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter himself was there when the Lord was arrested. He was there when Jesus Christ was crucified, though he betrayed him uh, or denied him, I should say, and was there from a distance, but he was certainly an eyewitness to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also a witness of the sufferings because as a Christ follower, he has suffered much. And so as a preacher and someone proclaiming the gospel, Peter has suffered many times through, through the beatings, through the imprisonments. And so as a Christian, he knows what this suffering is about. And so he speaks from as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but also a partaker of the glory. He anticipates the glory that will be revealed in Christ. We realize that in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Because our inheritance as Christ followers is Christ himself, his kingdom, that we are partakers then of this glory. Peter had the uniqueness of actually seeing Jesus in his glory already when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was transfigured in what we would see just fleshliness to his glory. Peter saw all that. So he has a glimpse into the reality of what that is. But to be a partaker of that glory, Peter's going to actually speak into that in just a moment about the reward and the glory that is then given to us as a Christ follower, but the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in his return that we share in that glory together. And so verse two, here's the instruction or the exhortation to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers. Now there's where you see it. We've seen the word elder. Now you see the word shepherd, which means to feed or to rule. We come with the word often pastor. That word pastor means to feed a flock. You also see the word overseer, which is the word bishop, or it takes on the managerial sense. And so you see now this elder is a, is a person of, of counsel and in maturity. It's not just age, but it has to do with their spiritual maturity, capacity to handle the word of God in doctrine, in manner of life, and all matters of life. Your shepherd or your pastor is the one that is feeding the flock of God with the word of God, 
whereas the overseer takes on this managerial role because there's obviously the oversight and management of the ministries, and there's plural ministries and people and the resources that come in and out. There's a lot of management that goes on in, in the ministry as well. But Peter uses a funny word here, or a word that would have been very familiar, I should say, with with the people in his day, and that is to shepherd the flock of God. It's a very agricultural term to refer to people as a flock of sheep and referring to a pastor then as a shepherd or the elders then as a shepherd as if they're feeding these sheep. And so uh, it's interesting to look in the scriptures to see that shepherds were considered really the lowest class of working class people. There's no glamour at all in being the guy that's out in the field just gently moving among the sheep and guiding them to the next pasture and being the guardian of the sheep. But it is that character quality that was actually in David, who was the shepherd boy, as we all know, that the Lord saw in him the qualities as a shepherd, which qualified him then ultimately to be the shepherd of Israel, to guide the nation of Israel and ultimately become the king of Israel. But it's also the angels, if you remember, are the ones that the, the birth of Jesus Christ was revealed to those shepherds in, their, in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Isn't it interesting that the birth of Christ was revealed first to the lowest common denominator of working class people? Now, I realize in our culture, sometimes the, the idea of a pastor is an esteemed role, an esteemed position, even in a community, can be often, and I feel like in this day and age, maybe not quite so much. But the concept behind this is the shepherd is to be the servant. The shepherd takes on this servant role. You know, I learned some things about shepherding, or really more about sheep. Several years ago, I had this really cool idea, at least I thought it was. I wanted to use a sermon illustration with a lamb. I wanted a live lamb, and I was going to hold the lamb, I was going to lead the lamb, and I had all this vision for what this sermon illustration was like with the lamb. So I contacted a friend who had sheep and said, hey, could I borrow one of your lambs for a sermon illustration? He said, well, what are you wanting to use it for? And I explained, and he said, well, that's not going to work for you. Well, why not? Well, he began to explain to me things about sheep. I did not realize all the information I needed to know, though after he explained it, my Bible made more sense in the way that we learned some things. First, I learned that sheep flock together and need to stay together like in a family type of an environment. It is dangerous for one sheep to stray off alone because they're defenseless. They don't have any natural defense mechanisms. They're not super fast. Uh, they're not agile. They don't have great teeth. They don't growl. They don't do anything really cool to defend themselves. So they're pretty vulnerable. So it's, a, it's dangerous to be alone. But also, if you take a, a lamb and separate it from the flock, it creates tremendous anxiety and they it would be impossible to do what I wanted to do with this lamb because it would it would be so anxious and stressed. And I found that to be interesting that, you know, as Christ followers, God's designed us as Christians to flock together. But whenever trouble comes, have you ever noticed whenever troubles come, that's often when we choose to isolate. And when we isolate alone and we disconnect from community, well, that's when the anxiety and the greatest amount of stress comes. Why? Because we're living a contradiction to the very new nature that we have in Christ as a sheep or as a lamb to be a follower of Christ. Isolation is actually the exact opposite of what brings health to us. 
That's why this COVID thing's been so difficult for many, because as Christ followers, we want to be together. We want to fellowship. We want to come in the unity together to serve and praise God together, but we can't. And so I realized the challenge with that, and it has created tremendous stress and anxiety for many in that. Well, that's understandable. It's, it's against your new nature in Christ to, to be isolated. Sheep are also homebodies. They, they stay in the same field. They, uh, they couldn't find their way home. You take them away two miles away from where you live and, and expect them to come back. They're not coming back. They, they cannot find their way back. No orientation for that. And so you're never going to see a home, homeward bound movie by sheep. That's not going to happen. They also have to be led to a new pasture. A, a sheep will stay in the same pasture and not move off of that thing and just eat till the ground is barren and pull the roots if necessary. But they have to be led then to a new pasture. So they will follow either a lead sheep or a shepherd, which is most ideal. And that's when you, we always see the shepherd with the staff, which is cool. And I always thought that big hook on the end was the rescue tool. And I, I guess that could be the case. But it is used for so many things by the shepherd because his role then with the sheep to be among them is he moves very slowly and gently. He goes into a field and surveys the field to clear it of all the rocks and poisonous things and things that would be hurtful to the sheep. But in addition, every time he moves, he's pounding that rod on the ground and it's teaching the sheep the presence of the shepherd is there. And so we always know where we can find him. When you start to link all these pieces together, you start to realize that when Jesus, who is our great shepherd and our good shepherd, and well, he is the one that uh, he said to my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And he is the shepherd that we see in the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's the one that makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. I always wonder what, why the still waters? Because sheep need clean water, but they don't do well with fast moving water. They don't have the strength to stand in fast moving water. It'll sweep them away. And so our Lord leads us to those special places. But that's what we are called on then as a shepherd. When we are instructed here to Feed the flock of God. What does that even mean? Well, it's to feed the word of God. Interesting to note in scripture that the Bible or the word of God is likened unto bread, to meat, to milk, to honey, to water, and in the case of sheep, green grass. And so it is the role of a shepherd then to feed the flock of God. So as a parent, what is my role? Well, I am to train my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I to nurture them with care, but I'm going to nurture them and nourish them with the word of God. That's shepherding my children. But it's an admonition as well because I want to train them to hear the word of God and follow in the ways of God at the same time. And so whether you, again, doesn't matter the role in terms of how you are shepherding, as to, whether it's a vocational minister, a parent, grandparent, whatever, you have this role to shepherd in the word of God, to feed the flock of God among you. It's not someone else's flock. It's the one that's among you. But here's the beauty. I, what I see in this is the, one of the important pieces about membership in a church, because I'm going to give an account someday for the people that are a part of our ministry. But I need to know who's a part of our ministry. Who am I giving an account to the Lord for? Well, it's those who are among us and those that are counted as a sheep. I realize sheep pass through all the time, maybe on their way to another, another field or they're just coming to a place of rest for a few weeks or whatever. That's great. I think it's wonderful. 
But when when somebody says, I want to be engaged into this community, I want to grow in this community, well, it brings then the definition for me. I am now responsible as a shepherd to with you and to you. Um, I'm going to give an account for you and part of our ministry. It's a physical presence to be among the people. It's it's who I give an account for. Now, there's warnings that come with this. There's an exhortation that comes, and here it is. Not by compulsion, he says. That's how you're supposed to shepherd. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Compulsion is this obligation, things you have to do. Well, this is in ministry. You don't do this by compulsion. There's no aspect of obligation. It's willing because this is what I want to do. It's what I was called to do. This is, I'm, I'm happy to do this, but there's something else and derived in this and it's a laziness. When, it, when there's something done by compulsion, if you don't have to do it, you won't. Well, that's indicative of laziness. And I think Peter's speaking into that, you know, and through the ministry years, I've observed um, a lot of things, just men that I've really respected in the way that they minister, the way they, their work ethic and how they do. I've also watched people that Man, they, I don't know how they have so much time to play so much. Or, you know, when I was overseas, I realized people go to conferences all the time. That the people back home are entrusting them to be planting churches and to be ministering and doing all kinds of things where they are that have to do with the ministry. But by the time you bounce from conference to conference to conference to learn about all these things about how to be a good a good missionary or a good pastor or a good church planter, well, when do you ever actually do that? Well, that's what Peter's describing here. There's a, a an obligatory or a laziness that can come. It's one of the hazards, though it's one of the work hazards. But he says, not, not by compulsion, but willingly, and not for dishonest gain, which obviously speaks into the covetousness. And we all know stories, we could all go on for hours about how we've seen and heard of people that are in responsible roles of shepherding, exploiting that for the sake of personal gain. And that's exactly what Peter speaks against. Now, it is true in Scripture that pastors are to live by the gospel, which means to compensate a pastor for the role that they have as a preacher of the gospel um, is, is appropriate. It's biblical. It's right. Matter of fact, we're instructed to not muzzle the ox that treads the corn. That doesn't make any sense if, if the one who is supposed to be feeding the flock is having, to, uh, is having to go do a lot of extra things outside to be able to put bread on their own table. You're inhibiting their capacity to minister effectively to the church. Paul speaks into this in 1 Corinthians 9. If you want to go read this, it's really helpful. But he, he describes this in chapter 9, verse 14. He says, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But he also speaks into this in terms of um, how, to, how to support your pastor. Because when Paul went to Corinth, he's actually instructing them because late, he's instructing them from a later position because when he went there originally, he made tents. To put bread on his own table, he, he did a vocational job to make tents in order to eat. He told them later, he said, I didn't ask you for a dime ever, because as a church, you couldn't handle that. But he said, now I want to instruct you that when you have a minister among you, that they live by the gospel, and you need to take care of that. Well, but that can get exploited. Obviously, when there's money starts exchanging hands, it gets exploited. So you find out preachers preach for profits and lucrative deals and climbing church corporate ladders and in a pursuit of denominational leadership. And 
I remember one time I asked this older guy who had been teaching Sunday school for forever. And I asked him, I said, man, I, I really appreciate your, your years of service. I said, man, why do you do this? And he just looked at me and said, it's good for business. Uh, what do you mean it's good for business? I thought he was going to say something real spiritual. He said, nah. He said, you know, I'm, in my business, it's all about relationships. He said, teaching Sunday school is just flat out good for business. And I walked away from that feeling, that's like, that's gross. What just happened here? And so you learn that sometimes it, it's one of the traps. In, the, in ministry, when we've been given a role to shepherd, that money can corrupt. So what does he teach? Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. To eagerly be willing to serve no matter what it costs. Verse 3, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now watch, it's not lording over. Why? Because the, the flock has been entrusted to you you're not the Lord of it. The Lord of glory is the Lord of the church, and he's now entrusted you with the privilege of, of being a shepherd in this group. But instead, we have been called upon then to be an example. Basically, follow me as I follow Christ, and it's um, to walk as the example for others not demanding and not placing expectations on others to do something that you would never do. It's why it's why Jesus, on the night that he was to be ultimately betrayed, arrested, and then crucified, washed the disciples' feet. He took the lowest possible position of a servant and then said, as I have done to you, you do likewise. I remember years ago, the Lord used this very text to just totally convict me that, and it's what ultimately led me to minister overseas. I had been pastoring a church and had been teaching for a long time and even teaching in like a Bible institute and really challenging men and women to be willing to give their lives to go do whatever, whenever, wherever God would lead. And really, I was desiring as a pastor to see our church be able to send out missionaries and church planters and do those things. But I remember very distinctly there was a day when the Lord spoke into my heart about that. And he said, and I remember I, it was as like it was an audible voice, but it wasn't audible, but it was like it was. Where the Lord spoke into my heart and just said, Dwayne, you, you're very quick to tell other people what they need to be doing. But what about you? And God used that in my life to say, you know, it's easy for you to talk about selling all your things and moving to the other side of the world and ministering in obscurity and doing all these things. Yeah, it's easy to talk about it. It just wasn't easy to do it. And so God used this for me to realize, you know, to lead by example. Don't ever expect someone to do what you're not willing to do yourself. To jump into the trenches and do everything with everybody as, it, as we go, you do it along with them. It's a phrase we often say in our own family, and that is, you can't lead if you're not there. It's the, it's the aspect of presence among the people all the time. You have to be willing to do whatever, whenever wherever, which is exactly what Jesus did, not lording over, but instead being an example. And here we come to the end, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The chief shepherd's going to show up, and one of these days when the chief shepherd shows up in all of his glory, then he is going to crown with glory the one that doesn't fade away for those who have been faithful shepherds. And here's the beautiful part of this. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to give a crown to those who have shepherded faithfully. Now, 
He is the very one who has empowered you to do this. So it's not like you shepherd in your own power. He's entrusted you to do it and now has empowered you to do it. And then he crowns you for doing it well. This is my beloved, or this is my faithful servant. And well done. Well done. You've received this crown. And now you have the privilege to give this crown back to the Lord and cast it at his feet in worship to him who's given you all of the tools and the empowerment to do it in the first place. It's pretty fascinating to consider that. And so when the chief shepherd shows up, you're going to receive this crown of glory that doesn't fade away. And you ever stop to think about all of the crowns or all of the things that we pursue after that do fade away? You know, it's the, it's the trophies and the plaques and the certificates and all the big things that we make a big deal, work ourselves silly over, fret over, and get excited about. But over time, they just fade away. I don't know about you, but every time we move, my, my box of mementos gets smaller and smaller and smaller because they just don't matter anymore. Now my box of mementos will fit in my front pocket because they just don't matter anymore. So here's the point. When the chief shepherd shows up, there's a crown of glory for you as a faithful shepherd that doesn't fade away. Now, Peter in this text is pressing on the motive. He's challenging and exhorting the pastor's He's challenging and exhorting those who shepherd other people. And so here's the beautiful part of this is it's testing on the motives. It's speaking into the motives of why we do what we do, no matter who you are and what aspect of shepherding, what this looks like. And if I could just close with this thought for you, if we'll keep our eyes on Jesus and that his motive and his manner, he's the chief shepherd. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, looking unto Jesus, get our eyes fixed there, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the ultimate shepherd, gave his life for ours that we might have eternal life. Jesus is the one who endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Jesus was anticipating the joy. What's the joy? It's you. You are the joy that is set before him as someone who would come by faith to know him as personal savior, that you would be saved. And then he would entrust you with the gospel message. He can entrust you with the ministry. Now he's going to empower you to shepherd other people and to feed the flock of God that is among you. And he now, you and, and in faithful service in doing so, he then gives you this crown of glory that doesn't fade away, that you in turn get to give back and worship to him what a glorious day that will be. I want to just encourage you today. Take stock today in the role that God's given you, giving thanks to the things that God's maybe entrusted you with and the opportunities you have to shepherd other people. And I want to really encourage you today, if you don't know the chief shepherd and you're a, a sheep, a lamb that's out straight away and man, you're just lost. Let me just tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself is the shepherd of your soul and desires today for you to come to him by faith and ask him to save you, and he will. He'll save you from your sin and give you eternal life in Christ. And today, he also wants to encourage you as shepherds to pursue after the crown of glory. May you have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time.